I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> it is Tommy Moore! Robbie Robbie Weekly. Little reverse pass, and oh! Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Hope everyone is soldiering away okay as we enter week umpteen of lockdown. It's time for the fourth and final instalment of our Provincial Report Card series. And before I introduce our two-man panel entrusted with running the rule over Leinster, I just wanted to say a special thank you to everybody who has signed up to become a member of the 42 over the last couple of weeks, which have been a difficult time for this parish, as well as all of you at home, I'm sure. New for the 42 members this week is a brand new sports coaching podcast, How to Win at Dominoes, where football coach Shane Keegan picks the brains of some of the finest minds in Irish sport. The great Gary Keegan is first up in a fascinating insight into the advent of high performance in Irish sport. We also kick off our byline series with multiple-time Booker Prize nominee Donald Ryan's beautiful essay about hurling's role in his life. Members.the42.ie for more. I'm joined on the line by Murray Kinsella and Andy Dunn to chat about Leinster. How are you, Murray? Yeah, good, Gav. Keeping well. Um, uh, had a really good Easter weekend and stuff, and days are ticking by nicely, so all is going well. How, how are things with you? Not too bad, thanks. The grass is cut. Uh, tensions now yesterday r- reached, I, I would say, a peak, uh, certainly over the last couple of weeks when my little sister lost the little yolk that we used to froth milk to make a, a nice coffee. Uh, there was something resembling war in the house broke out. Um, but but tensions have since been eased. Uh, it actually turned up in the dishwasher of all places. So, yeah, things are things are taking over nicely. How are things on your end, Andy? Um, I'm, going to, <clears throat> I'm getting used to a, a new normal, like everyone else, and um, you know we, we're doing we do online telehealth, which four weeks ago was more or less non-existent, and now it's, it's all we do. So yeah, it's um, we're get, we're all getting used to these changes, and um, yeah, there there are lots of parts of this I'm enjoying. I have to say, slightly more time downtime and. You know, getting a few naps, daily naps in here and there, and a bit more fresh air, and yeah, there, there's definitely good parts to it as well. If we're if we're going to look on the bright side, in your professional opinion, uh, naps are they a good or a bad thing? Is does it come with age, Andy? The the need for naps? <laughs> I think there, I I'm no um, I'm no sleep specialist, and I'm not the best sleeper myself, but I know um, they're they're very very restorative for the human body and the brain. So um, I know a lot of the, the, the big money football clubs have invested heavily in, in kind of sleep science and Real Madrid in particular seem to be one of the, the leaders in this. They, they've whole, they have a whole etiquette around sleep and timing for sleep and they've sleep pods at the training ground. There's lots of stuff online you can find when you Google it. So yeah, it's pretty important, but I don't know much of the science behind it. Sounds a bit like our office, uh, Murray, really. Um, kind of that Google approach, little sleep pods. Uh, obviously, Leinster is, is a difficult one um, to... I suppose it's always a difficult one to begin with because they have been operating so well now for so long. 
with the other provinces there are always a couple of things you can sink your teeth into straight away in terms of areas of improvement and things like that and i'm sure there are areas in which leinster can improve but i've started with with each of the guests on the report card series by asking for them to give their assessment of where the three other provinces were at the juncture of the campaign where it was postponed indefinitely with Leinster, they'd won every game, so they were obviously in a, a very good position. Uh, Andy, I was going to ask yourself, without asking you necessarily to be like an Nostradamus, how successful a campaign do you think they were on the cusp of putting together? Like, are, were we talking about another double and possibly an even more impressive season if they had done it then when they had done it previously? Yeah, I think... Um... I think they were on the on the cusp of um, and maybe maybe an unbeaten um, pro fourteen. I think um, whether they're on the cusp of a double is is a much trickier guess. Um, I think I, I think probably by by some distance um, the strongest squad in the pro fourteen, the the type of squad that can pick players who are possibly third third choice or third down the list in terms of uh, a big European knockout quarters or semis, but they're picking guys maybe third third in rank routinely for uh, Pro 14 games and still winning by 40, 50 points. So I, I, I didn't really anticipate much of a challenge for them in the Pro 14 um, at all, even from the Irish provinces. Um, they just seem to have been in a really, really kind of unbeatable mindset and and, and rhythm and groove to their game that they they have they have I suppose they've arrived at that through huge amount of hard work it often great great music great art great sports can look so simplistic and easy and it's usually predicated on the back of huge amounts of hard work of a very aggressive <clears throat> training regimen under under Lancaster and Cullen and, and again they haven't arrived at at their levels of performance by accident, so I think um, I think they've earned exactly where they were in the Pro 14. But but I really believe on the back of last season's loss up in St James's Park in Newcastle to Sarries, I think their real pri- privately, I think their real target was to win Europe again, and um, and I think that's something that stuck in the craw was the manner in which they played in the final against Sarries last year versus to what they're actually capable of. And I think there was a sense of huge frustration in the group and that now that looks like it probably, you know, who knows what's going to happen, but it looks unlikely they're going to get a chance to to uh, to launch their assault on Europe this year. But I, I think I think privately, whether they stated it in the media, I think they had a, they had a real focus and target on, on going back and winning in Europe this year. So we may never know, but I think they were... Uh, they weren't a shoe in for Europe compared to the Pro 14. Was that Sarri's defeat the catalyst, do you think, Andy, in their uh, relative transformation or at least their improvement uh, in the interim when you consider there was only a summer in between and they still managed to kick it up a notch? I'm just wondering how that is even possible, really. Yeah, I I, I do think the, the loss to Sarri's was a, a catalyst because I think they looked at... They, they went through that game... Um, the, the the frustration of losing a final like that is it's the last game you play and you've a whole you've a whole summer to dwell on it. You can't you can't put things right the following Saturday. 
but I I think it it even from a philosophical point of view that one one of the areas I think it it just hit them really really hard. I think they they look on it. Saracens a great a great side, um, technically excellent, mentally very tough. But I think Leinster look at that game as one they they lost more than Saracens went and won, and um, Leinster by by subpar execution under pressure on the day. And and again, the the Saracens put you under that level of pressure that makes you uh, doubt execution or or struggle to to perform when you're under that level of extreme pressure. But I think that's something Leinster pride themselves on through how they train. And I think I think um, the loss, but but more so the the nature of the the loss and the performance levels that happened in that period was a was a catalyst among the the group, the coaching staff, the senior players, and that permeated right down through younger members in the squad that in order to be successful at the top level in Europe, they needed to progress their game on to to um, execute under pressure and to think with more clarity under pressure. Um, they, because they, they did quite a number of clear-cut opportunities, particularly in the first half in that European final where you know they could have they, they could have swung the scoreline it could have been a 14 point turnaround you know given what they conceded three to four minutes later thinking of the, the spurned overlap um, as a really clear clear uh, example but yeah I think I think that loss and very often in sport and life a loss or a failure being a catalyst for progress and I think they've used it in a really positive way and I think it has most certainly improved them. Is that where you think they have improved then, Murray? Their ability to execute the a little bit more clarity in thought. Um, maybe it's it's difficult to judge the clarity of thought aspect to it when it was only kind of glaring maybe that they needed to improve on that side of the game when they reached the very pinnacle and the European final last year. And we, obviously we weren't at that stage of uh, this particular season when it was called off. But um, their execution, had that improved, uh, or has that improved rather over the past sort of 12 months now? Yeah, absolutely. The, on the evidence we've seen, it, it's a shame we won't get to see those, potentially see those European knockout games. So ideally we will. But definitely they've been ultra clinical in this season and they've had real <clears throat> real clarity of thought in, in how they play the game. It's a, it's a great point from Andy. I think the phrase Stuart Lancaster uses is um failure as a school for success that's what leinster talk about so when you when you have a hiccup when you have a setback you're always using that in a positive light to to get better they're they're really good at doing that and even on this winning run by all accounts they've been extremely good at that in their views so like we're all celebrating the whatever the 24th win in a row as it as it was at the end of the uh, when when the season was suspended, dating all the way back to that game in Newcastle, uh, if you include the friendly games. But even within those wins, they were looking at those little failures um, as chances to get better, little things in games that didn't go perfectly for them um, and constantly give them that forward-thinking focus, that thirst to improve. Um, and that mindset has been really uh, across the board. It's not just Lancaster, it's just senior players, guys who have achieved a lot in the game but are really insatiable in, in wanting to get better. And... Um, I think we've definitely seen the improvements. I think we've definitely seen a step up in the hunger levels and, and the mental application as well. Um, and, there, and there's a lot of other factors in it as well. <clears throat> this, the, this success the Lancer have enjoyed. And I honestly do think they would have, 
I think they would have gone unbeaten this season. I, I went again through the fixtures. I think Saris would have definitely run them really close, and they were the greatest threat in that quarter final if they had the full England internationals or if they do whenever they play. Um, and a keen to kind of spoil any party in Dublin, but. Leinster were on such a momentous run. You, you think of their last game, they hammered a very good Glasgow team, really, um, 55-19, absolutely tore them apart. Um, totally agree with Andy. I think the Pro 14 would have, they, they would have um, been really dominant in closing that out. And I, I definitely think they had the quality in Europe with all their Ireland internationals back to to do that as well. It's, it's a pity, but yeah, that, that was a catalyst in improving what was already, we have to say, a, a brilliant team, obviously. They were excellent for large parts of last season. They, they got that final wrong. They'd admit themselves. Definitely didn't take a few of those chances. And if you think around the the halftime break, either side of it really, they 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 lost the game. There was a bit of muddy thinking in not getting the ball off the pitch just before the break. They obviously reviewed that. They probably had a positive mindset in trying to go and win the ball back. But um, certainly this season, I think we've seen them have a really nice balance to their their style of play and it's something they've been working on for several years under Lancaster balancing that Leinster way as they term it you know the the free-flowing exciting attacking rugby uh, with what they call pressure rugby so uh, putting the foot on the throat being really uh, confrontational and direct when they need to be and I mean even just working back through the stats and things like that you, you see that balance in their game like they have this reputation as a really exciting attacking team which at times they are but they're, they're certainly not offload kings I, th- I think in Europe they have I have the stats here they have an average of 5.3 offloads which is well behind the likes of Toulouse on 12 uh, Gloucester, Leon, Racing they're all around 10 even Munster and, Offlo- and Ulster actually have offloaded more than Leinster in, in the Pro 14 and Champions Cup Leinster now tend to really dominate possession and they're brilliant at uh, keeping the foot on the throat as I say there and, and grinding you out when they need to they can absolutely open up they're brilliant footballers and good decision makers but they're extremely fit and physical and you think of the the training sessions that Andy's mentioned there the fitness of the team is is quite exceptional really they're brilliant at outworking teams which is hard to do at that level of rugby when everyone is really well uh, conditioned really uh, fit as well but again the stats back it up we all have this probably uh, image of Leinster kind of grinding teams down the 22 and certainly the the numbers back that up. They're the top try scorers, obviously, in the Pro 14. But the real key difference is that when they get to phase seven or higher, no one else has scored more tries than them. They have 24 tries uh, on phase seven or beyond. Next best is Glasgow on 18. Then you have Munster back on 13. Uh, and they concede very few tries in those similar circumstances. So when the ball is in play for a long time, they're they're excellent. They've really unparalleled work rate in the forwards off the ball. Um, and when they're picking and going they're exceptionally uh, technically brilliant at that as well so there, there's a whole range of factors there you the, the the individual performance levels as well I think the quality of player is something that is very obvious but you got to underline it the production line obviously is excellent again that mindset of older lads always getting better and the, the quality of coaching which we'll probably come to in terms of how that setup works really well it just breeds that competition for places again this season they've had 51 players used following on from uh, 57 and 56 in the last two seasons so uh, you know there's always someone pushing you for for your place but at the same time I think they're brilliant at having that cohesion even though they can change their team from week to week a lot of the guys are homegrown they've played together they understand each other's traits and, and strengths and potentially the weaknesses um, and another thing that Lancaster talks about is that 
when all else is equal, cohesion is the king in rugby. And, and definitely Leinster have a high degree of that, the understanding and the ability to play with each other. So there, there's a whole range of impressive factors. And really, this season, I've just really delighted in watching them because they're, they're a case study in excellence, really. Andy, on the coaching side of things then, to start with, um, when you're looking at areas such as execution and clarity of thought, as you mentioned, obviously clarity of thought is a an extremely mental thing, but execution is probably more so mental than it is physical because the players already have the skills. I don't think it's necessarily about improving or drastically improving individual skill sets. So how do... Leo Cullen and Stuart Lancaster managed to cultivate improvements in those particular areas. I think particularly execution, which is like a word we'll hear about often in sport. We know what it means, but I'm not sure I necessarily understand how you can go about improving it. Um, I, I think they, I think there's, there's a very straight and simple answer to, to this. They, they improve execution because they, they keep freshening up the message. I mean, they they John Fogarty left the uh, the Leinster setup to to progress into the Irish system and uh, and scrum coach now with Andy Farrell. What Leinster did in response to that was they didn't they didn't necessarily get someone of who's cut from the same cloth as John Fogarty. They went and got Robin McBride, who has vast experience. And very, very different experience to John Fogarty and has been exposed to so many different schools of thought. He's been exposed to, you know, Gatland, he's been in the Lions. And again, that exposure and experience for McBride means when he comes in and talks about execution, he's probably talking about five or six small different points of order that roughly amounts to, you know, the same the same driving force around. We need a greater execution, but it will freshen the message. I th- I think at, at a highest level, these players understand what technical execution is. You know, if they were forced to break it down and asked, you know, if you asked a player to coach it, some will deliver the message better than others. But they'll all understand how to execute. But they may become stale from the same messages or the same schools of thought or a, for example, the old, we, we see it less and less in professional sport now, the kind of the boot room mentality that Liverpool had in the 80s. One coach takes over from the next coach who comes in and the next coach. What actually breeds success seems to be now is different, very, very diverse views in the same environment and a, and a comfort among the coaching staff, that that isn't a threat. If someone comes in with McBride's success, and similarly, someone comes in with Contepomi's viewpoint, which was very different to Gervin Dempsey's, what it does is it freshens up the coaching group, it freshens up the message, and it, it probably allows execution to be um, a more fresh type of concept. Execution of the same message again and again and again can become stale and suddenly players who no doubt if you isolate them and say was that good or bad execution they can tell you straight off they might be able to tell you why they didn't execute and I, I think that's a that's um, that's a stainless generally speaking or a, a, the, the, the motivation or the arousal levels aren't at the right pitch so for me I think again great credit has to go to to 
Leinster management to recruit coaches, um, both Cullen and, and Lancaster's kind of well-observed, um, you know, reverence to, to other ideas. They, they, they're very comfortable with inviting challenges upon themselves. And again, I think that crosses into the mindset of all their players. And there's no one really sitting around comfortable, including the guys who are running the show. And I think that's what keeps them fresh from an execution point of view. Murray Lancaster is obviously part of the furniture now at this stage, but he's probably a great example of what Andy is talking about in that he came in and shook things up to a major degree uh, and to significant success as well. Yeah, definitely. He's He's got that like growth mindset is the phrase a lot of coaches use. And even at the moment, I think you can see that. I follow a lot of coaches on Twitter and it, it seems to me that on a daily basis, Stuart Lancaster is on some kind of Skype call, sharing his wisdom, sharing his ideas, what he's learned. He's extremely open about things like the failure with England in, in 2015. Um, you know, he talked. He, he did a talk the other day. He was talking about going to visit Wayne Bennett in in Australia, the rugby league coach, a famous guy. Uh, soon after the the World Cup, and Wayne Bennett just said outright to him, "You know, what did you mess up? What did you get wrong?" Uh, and his advice for him was to to go go somewhere that you 100% want to go to and also somewhere where 100% they want you. Uh, and Lancaster obviously got that in Leinster. The senior players made a big play to get him involved. And Leo Cullen, who deserves massive credit in all of this, he he made the big play as well because, you know, we, it's easy to forget now, but Leo, the start of Leo Cullen's reign, um, having been pushed into it far earlier than was planned and than he might have expected or hoped for, it was really tough and, and Leinster obviously weren't playing well on the pitch. They didn't get out of their group in Europe. Certainly there was a lot of pressure on Cullen and Leinster to to get things right. And he was the one who was humble enough, I guess is the word, and um, willing enough to see that there was weaknesses in, in his developing coaching style um, to go out and, and seek that help. First, Graham Henry came in and then Lancaster came in to provide this really nice, balanced coaching group. Um, and again, Lan- Lancaster talks about this. He says... Uh, you know, to be a kind of figurehead in rugby, there's the leadership, coaching, and management sides of it. But Colin and and also Guy Easterby, he's the head of rugby operations behind the scenes, does a lot of management stuff. They kind of take care of that side of things, and and then Lancaster can really focus on that coaching on the pitch, which he probably lost sight of slightly when he was with England, and also the leadership stuff, which he is massively, massively interested in, and definitely relates to the kind of execution and and clarity of thought we're talking about, and uh, he's worked with. Um, lots of really interesting people in that field. Uh, I think the same company that the All Blacks used in terms of that redhead, bluehead stuff, uh, whereby you're you're getting yourself into really focused mindset on the pitch. You've got cues to take yourself out of kind of panicky or um, you know inconsistent thinking and and be very clear in the moment. He he's a big believer in that, and he's also helping young guys in Leinster like Ringrose, James Ryan, guys who are maybe not extroverts and, and they're developing their own style of leadership. So he's massively interested on that. But the way it's structured allows him to do that. Easterby and Colin take care of, of business, let's say, um, and he does most of the coaching. And then you have that technical expertise, which Andy has kind of alluded to there. Again, I, I really like the way they're willing to be f- fresh in their thinking. Like Philippe Contepomi coming in was definitely kind of out of the box and he's different to other coaches he's got a slightly different view on things in terms of how to attack off set piece but that's been a- an excellent part of it McBride obviously coming in with a with a huge CV um, and doing you know, building on, on good work with the forwards and then as well another guy who's 
probably under the radar is Hugh Hogan, the contact skills coach. Like that's an area where Leinster are, are superb and he, having come through the AL, a brilliant player actually in his own time, um, without a massive profile from having played at the top level, but they were willing to appreciate that here's a good uh, a good coach who can actually accelerate our development. And I mean, you just have to interview any of the players. They, they rave about his very detailed work around tackle entry and, um, and all that kind of stuff around contact. So they've got that lovely balance of the big picture guys, Colin and Easterby, the really important tactical technical leadership influence in Lancaster and then those technical kind of micro management on the detail side of it from from the other guys in the team and and it certainly seems like a very open environment obviously Lancaster is as I've mentioned is, is big on that but from what I understand yeah I, I think we've mentioned it before as well the the academy staff are very involved as well and it just filters and permeates down through the whole province. So um, again, leading to that kind of cohesion and then the, the fact that when you get an academy guy in, he's very much up, much up to speed on, on what's being done. So they deserve credit on that on that side of the the coaching stuff because when they got rid of Matt, o, uh, Matt O'Connor very you know unexpectedly, not very unexpectedly, but ahead of his time, they were left in the lurch a bit and they were playing catch up and it took a while to get there, but they, they've certainly nailed it now. Does Leo Cullen get enough credit to your mind, Andy? There was definitely a period in which, for a while, Leinster were kind of perceived to be Stuart Lancaster's Leinster, and I got the sense that Cullen was a little bit forgotten in it. And perhaps it was sort of just a subconscious thing or an understandable thing because, again, Lancaster was kind of catalytic in Leinster's improvement a couple of years ago. But do you think the balance has, has sort of been restored in terms of Cullen essentially getting his due plaudits for the coaching staff that he's put in place and for all of the success that he's been a part of as well. Yeah, I, I think he's very comfortable um, in his own skin, whether he gets the credit or not. And, um, he, you know, and that's not, that that isn't that common for people in his role. Um, they may, you'll hear lots of sound bites from, from leading coaching figures as we don't we don't pay attention to press or media you know we, we but like you don't you don't have to look much further than the likes of joe schmidt for example who i i would say paid massive attention and way too much attention to what people were saying about him i i think leo has somehow cultivated within himself a, a real an assurance he's so self-assured um about his decision making that I think he doesn't care whether he gets the credit. And I, now, that, I'm, in, in answering your question, you think has has the balance been restored? I think he does get adequate credit now. I, I definitely think the introduction of Lancaster probably um, put Leo in a, in a, to a degree. It put him to one side, and people felt, well, it's obviously Lancaster who's come in. But but where where we've got to, I suppose, learn around giving credit is how composed and, and assured and mature the decision is when you're a young coach to to surround yourself by people who are more experienced um, greater track records, coached at higher levels with greater success that to me is a really fundamental sign of strength and leadership and belief and uh, it shows that he doesn't covet power it shows that he is actually thinking about the greater good of Leinster rugby, and um, we we only need to look at his background. He's been he was he was 
you know, Wicklow born, but, you know, Leinster through and through. And uh, he also showed, I, I think at a time in his playing career, he showed great courage and leadership to go away from a team that he was a regular shoe-in starter to go over to England and, and challenge himself to get into Leicester Tigers where he wasn't going to be a regular starter. And he learned, I think, from their their culture of excellence. I mean, they had a really hard-nosed, quite a difficult culture from what I gather. A bit old school, a bit a bit bully, bullyish and a bit laddish and all these things that Leicester kind of stood for. But it was a, it was a it was a bit of a lion's den, like so. So he he came back to Leinster as a player, along with Shane Jennings, and they really had a huge role in changing Leinster's culture having been having moved out of where a lot of a lot of players at the time the top level players in Leinster never left at that stage so he's he's shown he's got form in being brave as a decision maker and he did that as a player then to to surround himself with with excellence as a as the head man uh, again shows he's he's comfortable challenging himself and uh I think I think right now, Gav, he is he is getting the credit he deserves, and I think similarly he doesn't care. <laughs> he's he's not he's not affected by it one way or the other. He do, he doesn't. I don't think he's walking around with a greater pep in his step now that he's getting the credit. And similarly, I don't think he was he was moping and uh, in any way uh, self pitying when Lancaster was getting the credit. He's a, he's a very level person. He reminds me at times of, of the likes of Jim Gavin or Brian Cody. He doesn't seem to be really doesn't seem to get overly flustered win, lose or draw. His delivery of message is usually the most consistent. And um, he's uh, yeah, he's 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 wise and mature beyond his years for what is still a relatively young coaching career. That sounds like a pretty good balance to me in terms of playing personnel. Then. Murray, give us, like, run the rule over this squad, particularly the developing players. I think um, most people would agree, particularly people from outside of Leinster, the conveyor belt now is such that it's actually difficult to keep track of some of the prospects that come through and suddenly figure in and around the first team. You look at the back row and the options there, uh, and, like, you'd forget even for the last sort of year-ish, Dan Levy hasn't even figured. He's going to come back in and add a what will feel like a new dynamic to that back row next year. But they just have so many options in, in most areas of the pitch, to be fair. Yeah, Dan Levy's certainly like a new signing. It's it's unbelievably exciting for Irish rugby to get him back. And the latest update from Guy Easterby um, just this week was that whenever Roby's back, he'll be back as well, which is, is just going to be brilliant to see. What a serious injury to get back from and recover from and he looks like he's in in great great nick and obviously really eager to get back out there himself and obviously jack conan coming back as well having had that injury at the world cup they're going to make it very tricky in the back in the back row which already this season has been so competitive and you've seen the emergence the real emergence of will connors and and caelan doris and max deegan stamping their quality on on really high level games actually funnily enough it's it's kind of crazy that will connors hasn't had that Champions Cup chance yet, but he's been in Ireland squads already and, and showing his quality in the Pro 14. There is a lovely balance to the Leinster squad. Um, you know, you have your frontline Ireland internationals, a whole rake of them, but you've also had those 
uh, NIQ influences. Now, I know Jabinson Gibson-Park is, is Irish qualified now, so um, he's obviously in that mix, and that's brilliant for Leinster to have that um, addition to their squad in terms of his nationality, but he's been excellent. He's been so consistent whenever Luke McGrath whenever he's been away. I don't think any other players has featured in more match day squads than Gibson Park this season. Scott Fardy is an instrumental player for Leinster. Um, I think only Lowe and Max Deegan have played more minutes than this season. He's 35, he's a leader. He's got this really <clears throat> positive and hard-nosed attitude. He influences the young guys. Um, and he's just a superb player. Aside from all that, he can mix it in the in the tight and he can play with his ball handling ability out in 15-meter channels like he did with the Wallabies before. Um, so, and Lowe, obviously, as well, being the other one. He's <clears throat> just continued to score tries and add those X-factor moments as well as really improving all other aspects of his game. He's so physical in contact. He's um, proactive in defence now. Um, and even Joe Tamani has, has shown a lot more of his quality in, in the in the second season. We're not quite sure what's going to happen with his contract. It was due to expire this summer, but we're not sure really on the whole contract and situation overall what, what is going to happen and, and certain plans may have changed. But that cohort of players is important as well as your Ireland internationals. And then you have this, before we get to the young guns, you have this really, really good middle tier of Leinster players who we've mentioned before, but it's it's worth reiterating again. Guys like Peter Dooley, Ross Maloney, I'm thinking of Josh Murphy, even Jimmy O'Brien, who's still quite young, obviously. They're the guys who rack up huge numbers of minutes and who are really consistent in the Pro 14 when the attention maybe is on the Ireland squad. Um, Hugo Keenan's probably come into that category and, and push past Rob Carney even in, in the fullback pecking order. They, they've been excellent throughout. Michael Benson, another one, a guy who's certainly not heralded as a star, but is very consistent for Leinster. And, and those guys really are as important as any other tier in your squad because I think a lot of a lot of teams, certainly in the Pro 14, they, they lack that really good middle tier. A lot of good young players and obviously frontline internationals, but really it's about what's in between. Um, and then to, to come to the young guns, like their the production line, line is insane. Probably if we're going to focus in on two, the, the, the guys who I think Irish rugby you know, at international level will be extremely excited about. And they've been in Ireland squads this season. Harry Byrne at out half and, and Ryan Baird in the second row. He can also play blindside. These are two players who look like they can, they certainly have the potential to play at the very, very top level. Byrne's obviously got a lot of confidence. His, his brother Ross, again, has been excellent for Leinster and, and back in the Ireland mix as well. Harry, still only 20 in the academy. He looks to have a little bit extra about his game. He's willing to take on the line. He's got a lovely passing game. It's it's fluid. Uh, he's got that creative edge. He likes to kind of control games. He's got a, a real swagger about him for such a young player. Um, and it's very exciting for, for Leinster to have that competition there with, with, with his brother, with Johnny Sexton, obviously the captain, and, and Kieran Frawley, another excellent player. And then Baird, just a, an athletic freak, really, isn't he? He's... Uh, tall and he's explosive off the ground but as we've seen with a couple of the the breaks he's made and that try against Glasgow in, insanely athletic really for a, a second row slash six he's so dynamic he's so quick across the ground um, and he looks like he's going to have a really complete skill set he's very intelligent player by all accounts as well already capable of calling those line outs um, and you're seeing him steal line outs as well um, so it's just thrilling for, for Irish rugby to have those kind of guys coming through and and there's more talent in, in behind it'll be interesting to see who comes out of the academy guys like Tommy O'Brien in third year and and ready to push on and then there's there's the other layer underneath that playing Ireland 20s as, as well so 
I mean, it is it is very exciting for for Ireland and for Leinster to have that quality because even even guys like Ronan Kelleher and and Caelan Doris are, are very young players. They're already internationals now and and are only going to go get better and better. And um, you possibly even think of that pair as, as line bolters probably for next year, but that's another story altogether. So there is this great balance uh, across the Leinster squad and. Um, yeah, it, it's it's really well distributed in terms of the age grade grades and and the depth chart really. Well, that Lions Bolters podcast is on its way. Don't you worry. Uh, there are uh, questions in the WhatsApp group, the members WhatsApp group, members at the forty two If you want to be involved there, just about the wealth of options at Leinster's disposal, and naturally. 50, 51 or 55, I think, if you include some of the players uh, involved in preseason, doesn't fit into 15 or 23. And invariably, as Leinster, as has been the case for Leinster over the last couple of years, they're going to be to some degree victims of their own success in terms of player production because players will probably either look to move to other provinces to feature and try and get into the international reckoning or they'll be sort of quietly moved along for their own sake and andy are there players there any of whom that murray has mentioned or just a couple that might spring to your own mind who you could see possibly looking to move towards a connacht or an ulster or a monster uh, just in order to i guess secure careers where they're playing week in week out which may not be possible uh, given the strength that Leinster have at the moment, um, I think it's very hard to highlight like one or two individuals who, who above others, there are so many people in that Leinster. If we if we look at the back row um, scenario, I think what's happening is you've got you know most back rowers are ultra competitive lads at the best of times. Anyway, you've you've they don't not one of them wants to walk away from the fight and no one wants to in their own group and their own subculture wants to say right i'm gonna go i'm gonna i'm gonna climb down and or in and that's not it to be disrespectful to other clubs or provinces but once you're in a fight you're in a fight and there's, there's probably 12 of them in this fight and i think what the, the coaching staff are doing is they're cultivating that they're they're actually trying to um, create an environment in that small back row subculture that nobody's guaranteed their place and similarly nobody wants to walk away from that challenge so it's it's very very clever in terms of man management it's very very clever management in terms of resources because it means they're they're never really short of high quality and I think the the real challenge for Leinsters, they they would ideally like to ring fence all that talent and draw on it when required, and it keeps their roster, their giant playing roster, really really fresh. But they've got this other battle going on with David Nusifora, and it will probably eventuate that battle becomes the battle between Farrell and Leinster, where he wants top quality as well and he when he wants top quality at international level he needs players coming into his squad who've had regular exposure to intensity and he can argue and so can Lucy Fora argue that five six out of that 12 are not getting enough regular exposure and if they move to another province they will get greater exposure to intensity and the the, the example to move away from the back row that probably the most clear 
and well-documented example is Carberry moving away from Leinster. And apart from a terrible run of injuries and bad luck with that, I think he had a really kind of a, a brilliant run as 10 for Munster for about seven, eight months there. And it showed the value of for Carberry and for Irish rugby of moving away from Leinster. They, they, they doubtless will argue against that and they, they, they ought to because they've, they've brought Carberry through from a very, very young age and they need to, they need to be, I suppose, greedy about those resources. Otherwise, they'll get pilfered left, right and centre. They need to protect their own success. So I, I, think, I think it's very difficult to pick out one or two individuals who will gain more from being outside the Leinster culture because they're gaining so much from being within the culture. Um, but, I, but I have to, suppose, predicate that by saying there is no substitute for playing regular games at the highest intensity and getting that exposure to 80 minutes, three, four, five times, five weeks in a row, playing European sides, playing Pro 14 sides, but just getting minutes under your belt for 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 progress as an individual. Um, I really, I really do find it hard. I know, I know, Murray mentioned the likes of Will Connors there, and possibly not not in has been in Irish squads. When you think about Conan coming back, you think about Levy coming back, you think about Reese Ruddock still being there, you think about Caelan Doris, Max Deegan, and there's another six names, you know, so maybe that middle tier may consider, you know, going, but where do they go? How do they get into the other provincial sides? They, they're, in, they're into a battle there. They're never guaranteed their place. So it's a, really, it's a really tricky conundrum for Irish rugby and Leinster rugby, I think, and uh, I'm not sure there's a clear answer, and I don't think I've given one. Yeah, well, well Andy, the, the Connors is a great example because he had a chance like it's not a trade secret he had a chance to go to Connacht a, a couple of seasons back he's from Leinster he always wanted to play for Leinster he felt that if he get a good run free injury that he could push and now he's pushing he's in Ireland squads uh, without even starting Champions Cup games with Leinster so you know if they go back to a guy like Will Connors I think he probably goes I'm alright where I am Scott Penny's the other one again people have surely heard the <coughs> excuse me the rumours that he's <coughs> excuse me linked with a, with a move away from Leinster and, and maybe had that chat but, but you look at his minute, he's still only 20 and he played more minutes this season than he did last season. So in his mind, he's probably going, you know, I'm still developing here. I'm still getting an opportunity. I'm with the best team probably in Europe, one of the best teams in the world. And I'm learning from these brilliant coaches and brilliant players around me. So again, am I better served by staying where I am and playing for this province that, that I love? It is a really tricky one. And that's another, uh, I think, thing that Leo Cullen does really well again Lancaster's spoken about this he's often of the mind that even greater cohesion is better so let's keep the same team week on week but Colin is so good at pushing him and and Leinster to to add that slight bit of rotation to give guys opportunity and you look across the back row and everyone really has had game time this season it's not like there's a brilliant back row who's just not getting any minutes at all they're, they're all getting minutes yes it's been helped by Conan and Levy being injured and that's a, a big factor in it but like someone's always going to be injured aren't they and um, to have that depth and that competition for places, it does make everyone better. There's there's arguments both ways, and like <clears throat> this is always going to be the threat to Leinster. This is always going to be the frustration, and and the relationship with the RFU is is not good at times because of it, because of the Carberry thing and and how that went down. And 
um, how to or if you encouraged it and, and obviously directed it a couple other examples as well um, but players are players want to stay f- for the large part w- with Leinster I think even a, a, an example recently is, is Roman Salanoa the Hawaiian prop who a really interesting player and has developed again this season he's obviously had a chance to go and, and Connacht were in the mix there but it sounds by all accounts like he's going to stay because I think he sees his development being best served with Leinster where he is in, in the in the best province in Ireland so it is a it's a fascinating one but there will be players like there have been players and there will be some players who go right I, I'm going to go and um, and, tr- and try and be a, a leading player somewhere else that that's part and parcel of it but you can certainly see why guys want to stay with their home province and home province that does give them minutes and does help them to improve as players and even if you're not the frontline player you can still be in an Ireland squad as well so it, it is a fascinating subject and definitely one that's not going to go away there'll be plenty more sagas out of this <laughs> just one more question on the subject before we move on from it and it's a brief one but uh, it was brought to my attention by Brian in the WhatsApp group um, and he was asking what about Leinster's shortage of wingers coming through Will they have to look to Ulster to solve that problem? And maybe it it is something that is slightly overlooked. I'm not I'm not entirely sure myself. I'll ask yourself, Murray. But like for all of the prospects that you're reeling off there, they're probably front five players, middle five players, and maybe traditionally Leinster we would have associated more with producing the the Jordan Larmers that are still in the squad, but they're not quite as plentiful out wider in the back three as uh, as they are in the pack. Yeah, that, that's actually a fascinating one. I had it here on my notes for, for probably players who will want to push harder next season. It hasn't been a, a great year probably for Keen Keller coming back from Connacht. He's only 25 still, isn't he? He's, he's a young a young enough player. Adam Byrne obviously has, has kind of faded off as well. I think he's the same age as well. So they're still youngish players. Barry Daly was obviously missing all season, uh, had that really tough injury time. So they were, they were down a few finishes out wide. Dave Carney obviously did really well in, in the absence, but... There's not a whole lot there. Aaron O'Sullivan in the academy uh, certainly one to watch. He's been um, he's been playing with the the sevens as well, and um, he, he's obviously come in from abroad and and seems to be progressing through. But I mean, you watch the Leinster School Senior Cup, and it's certainly not like there's it's not like there's a lack of talent out wide in, in that competition, and you would imagine that they're going to get a couple through um, in the next couple of years. But I think for the shorter term focus, it'll be getting uh, getting more out of those those guys in the squad who obviously haven't been helped by little injury niggles in Bernie Keller and Daly longer term, obviously as well, if, if he's still around um, and getting more out of them and, and fully helping them realise their potential because there's a whole lot of potential there. Bernard's played for Ireland, Keller has pushed for that maybe in the past and was seen as a huge prospect and, and Joe Schmidt was a big fan back in the day um, so I think that'll be their shorter term focus and then yeah it'll be interesting to see if they, they get a little bit more out of the pipeline uh, Lots of questions about this and a few of them as well on the more macro level so Dempsey was wondering can the IRFU sustain the level of player wages in Leinster given they are among the biggest spenders in Europe and will have lost revenue this season Uh they're wondering, uh, could we see a reduction of budgets, etc., over the next few years? And then Doug Ledden was wondering, Murray, will insurance help cover the loss of earnings for Leinster and all of the provinces? Because he imagines they'll all be in trouble uh, over the coming months, given what's happened over the past few weeks. Yeah, that is a, it's a concern. And Guy Eastwick again this week was talking about the big financial hit they'll take if 
if those home games against Saracens and obviously Munster as well, the big intro, don't happen. Um, look, it is a concern for everyone in all sorts of industries, not just rugby. Uh, yes, you would imagine there's going to be a hit there. Um, at the moment, it's paid deferrals for all IRFU staff, and I, and I know a lot of the players and, and staff are very appreciative of the IRFU doing that. They're obviously in better nick financially than, I would say, the, the vast majority of unions. Um, but how long they can sustain that, we, we just don't know how long rugby's going to be um, suspended for, and they need to get back as, as soon as possible. Um, the, the thing, I suppose, with Leinster is that like a, a, they have a large number of players on central RFU contracts, so that's essentially the RFU's overall player budget rather than specifically Leinster's. So you'd imagine they'd be able to to manage it uh, fine. On the insurance front, to be honest, I don't I don't know the ins and outs of that side of things. It would be uh, something I have to look into. You'd imagine in terms of the the big games, there is some um, backup plan there, and um, obviously insurance involved in those big events like that. Um, but really, it is it's completely unprecedented for for rugby and. The longer it goes on, the more troubling it is. I think just on player salaries, it's 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 going to be interesting. It's something I was talking to to Bernard Jackman about recently, and uh, he's certainly of the view, and and as are many in the game, that the salaries will certainly stop the their growth uh, of the, of recent seasons because, like particularly with the Premiership and top fourteen clubs, the 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 scale of player salary has is exceeded the revenues coming in from say match tickets and and whatever way clubs are making money they're they're not um they're not turning profits certainly in, in that sense they're the the salaries have gone up and I, I absolutely see the the value in that players i think are, are doing this horrifically dangerous job um and it really is tough physically to to do it every week and, and batter yourself uh i don't envy them that and and certainly they deserve to be well uh, rewarded for that and to 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 a degree and um, that is a big part of it but at the same time I think the, the scale of it has probably got a little bit out of hand in, in the last couple of years and, and we'll see that uh, across the board really I think we'll see that uh, decline Specific to Leinster then Andy and it's a question I've asked Mike Sherry in relation to Munster Birch in relation to Connacht and Darren Cave last week in relation to Ulster but is there uh, one particular area or a number of areas uh, where you would like to see Leinster improve, uh, be it for a an eventual conclusion to this season, or or perhaps more likely now, um, another charge at the two competitions next season. Um, well, it's uh, it's um, tricky to to focus in on an area of any potential weakness. I don't. I don't. I th- there's there's certainly not a, um, any really obvious uh, part of their game, their overall game, or their their uh, units from front row, second row, back row, half back, centres, back three. There's no real weakness in their their depth at all, or their their management of Leinster rugby from grassroots all the way through to senior team and similarly the, the, the diversity of thought the strength of character um, that runs through their management team so it, if you look at all that it's very very hard to pick out a, a, a way that's easy to identify that they can improve but uh, for me when I, when I look at Leinster play Murray, Murray had some brilliant insights there on the stats and they're not, 
you know, they're not high up the list on offloads and, and they don't need to be because they're able to convert so well after six, seven phases of play and, and they've become a possession dominant team. Um, what, what I think has happened in, in over the course of 20 years, maybe you're talking about in rugby, is that holding on to possession for long periods as you go as you go higher up in in the um, in the challenge that you face, holding on to possession is not necessarily of great value. What it can do is exhaust your own efforts, and, and I think we saw that in the Joe Schmidt model for about eighteen months. It worked up until it didn't, because everyone realised we were a possession side and we held on to it. And Leinster's Leinster's swashbuckling style has been somewhat dampened um, in a bid to hold on to possession and create more control. And I, th- I think that's just one area that they may look at and focus on that, okay, d- for example, when they come up against the Saracens of the likes of Saracens in Europe, will, will possession and holding on seven, eight, nine phases Will it be as effective against the brilliant Saracens defence uh, as it would be against a not-so-brilliant Edinburgh defence, for example? So in order to win Heineken Cups, and again, that's probably their focus, and if they need to improve, they probably want a legacy and build a dynasty and win three or four of them in the next 10 years. They, po- I think they possibly need to facilitate their game going into fifth gear a bit more often, which is higher risk, a couple of more offloads that are chosen at the right time, but, but are actually functional. I, I think they've a, they've a really interesting situation in, in the management of James Lowe, because he, he really represents that kind of brand. That he's, never, he's never the type of player who's going to be in second gear, third gear. He seems to have, he's in fourth or fifth gear, and he accelerates everything that Leinster do. He creates so much and all the support players around him, they all want to be close to James Lowe when he's got the ball. Probably a classic selfish sportsman mentality. Each individual around him realises they're going to gain by being in his proximity because he's going to offload at the right time with high quality and they're going to be able to add something onto the ball and be in a bit more space. If they can allow that to be a a mindset that runs through different positions in the field and different personnel. I think that's something that could make them really dangerous again. At the moment, there's a, there's a slight tendency towards safety and making sure they execute brilliantly. And the likes of Hugh Hogan being a, being a, a specialist contact skills coach and a breakdown coach. Again, I, I've often talked back. I mean, your, your breakdown, being brilliant at your breakdown means you're really good at being in second and third gear all the time. It doesn't mean the, the engine's running, but it doesn't mean it's purring. So I think the likes of James Lowe helps them purr, and that engine goes into fifth gear. And just, just an allowance of that a bit more in their overall play is something that could improve them, that star quality, that moment of magic. And again, that's, that's really, you know, picking, clutching at straws, that they're an outstanding side across the board and, and in every unit of their team. But that potentially is an area I think they could look to improve in order to break down the top European defences. 
Murray, uh, Cullen and Lancaster have probably shown enough elasticity in their thinking for that to be addressed when it does uh, rear its head, uh, if it hasn't already. And But it, it probably is the biggest danger facing Leinster in the near-term future, really, isn't it? The fact that, realistically, we see, across a plethora of sports, teams sort of ascending to be uh, something resembling unstoppable until somebody comes along and stops them. And it happened with Ireland to uh, who might not have been necessarily like literally unstoppable, but suddenly what they were doing seemed quite redundant. It wasn't addressed on time and there were disastrous consequences. And particularly, I think, in this sort of period of time where other teams may have just that little bit of added time on their own hands to actually look into what Leinster were doing and try to break them down from a, a tactical standpoint. Um, so when, when rugby does resume... Is that the sort of biggest challenge facing Leinster to sort of stay ahead of the curve, really, and make sure that they don't stagnate in any way? Yeah, well, well, the thing about Leinster is they're an extremely self-aware team. As I mentioned earlier on, even though they're winning, they're quite a lot of time it's, it's heated, not negative views, but very self-critical. Um, and they're very aware of how other teams see them. Um, and as I said, like Lancaster and Johnny Sexton, etc., are going to be using this time uh, to think ahead, to plot ahead, I can be certain that they'll come out with a few new strings to their bow. Like Lancaster, he talks about this thing called the performance clock in terms of players, where you know change is part of a high performance culture. You need to have that change, and often the change before change is actually necessary. So you're you're thinking ahead, okay, which player here is going to be on decline, um, and they've maybe done a bit of that, even like Sean O'Brien leaving and. Jack McGrath going off to Ulster, they they felt they could go a different way with that, and I think the same applies to their their tactics. They've morphed to this, like I would I would say they definitely have that freedom, and Lancaster encourages it for players to make decisions, and they do score some stunning tries, and and they play some stunning attacking rugby when they do that. But often the best way for them to win is is to be a, a little bit more direct and get into the twenty two and, and grind you down, and that works, and that's winning rugby. And um, but I think they'll definitely be aware of of the trends in the game and certainly at the moment for me the, the thing that sticks out again you're picking at you're nitpicking really but I think their kicking game can improve I think that's a massive part of rugby now and has, has only um, grown as a trend in the last year or so you look at what England are doing with the ball with their four kickers one at, at 15 and Elliot Daly the 10-12 combo and, and Ben Young's being exceptional at it um, I, I would imagine a lot of coaches are kind of looking at this and, and thinking you know this is the way the game is going to go even more so if we get the 50-22 law trial at higher levels which looks like it's going to happen and it's going to become more important part of the game um, I think Leinster will be, will be looking and have been looking at ways of improving that side of the game like they have lots of brilliant kickers again we should say that Ross Byrne I think is king of the kick pass really Johnny Sexton obviously has in his, in his armoury as do all the 10s really but I think they can uh, grow the kicking ability across their back line and why not even in the forwards maybe um, in terms of having different options uh, for attacking teams in that way again going back to the stats like it's interesting that Leinster kick almost least of all least of anyone in the, the fewest kicks on average of anyone in the Pro 14 and, and very similar in the in the Champions Cup they do tend to look to cling on to the ball but I think we're seeing other teams in, in the world England being an example France kicked a hell of a lot in the Six Nations this year and that was a massive part of their um, revival so I think Leinster will be cognizant of that and, and self-aware of where their game is and where it's going so I'm definitely excited to see what strings they, they add to their bow in this kind of down period. 
yeah, I think everybody is in the same boat there. Andy, thanks a million for joining us. We'll catch you again soon. Thanks, Gav. Stay well in the meantime. Thank you as well, Murray. Catch you again for the next members pod on Monday. Cheers, Gav. That will be a playback episode on a famous game in Ulster Rugby's history. So we'll catch you then if you are a member of the 42, if you want to sign up and get all of those extra podcasts and all of the uh, strings that we've added to our own bow, I suppose. It's members at the 42.e, 5 euro a month or 42 euro for the year. We'll be back as well next Thursday for a regular podcast like this one. So even if you're not a member, you'll be able to catch that. So until either Monday or Thursday, mind yourselves and take it easy. I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie Robbie Weekly.